Welcome to Angel Lady Movie Talk. I'm Sherry Lee Myers. Here's my very entertaining interview with our film's director, Edgar Pablos, who describes the miraculous coincidences and the legendary directors who influenced his start in the film business. Thank you for listening. Edgar Pablos, first of all, I'm going to say that Dan and I are privileged to have you as our director for Angel Lady. And it is truly my delight to be talking to you today. Oh, thanks, Sherry. I, I feel the same way about being part of your project because I, I was invited in and I'm just so happy to have uh, been invited and accepting the invitation and, and being on this journey with you both. Uh, it's been wonderful for me as well. Well, oh, thank you. You have a very, very interesting story of falling in love with movies. Yes. Can you can you tell us about when you were just a little guy and how movies captured you? Sure, sure. It it, it really did start at a young age. Um, my family had and I had moved from Mexico when I was about three years old, moving from Juarez to El Paso, Texas. You know, it was, a, I still remember the move. I still remember everything. I remember going to preschool and not speaking English. And it was awkward, even at three. I mean, I still remember mm -hmm. making friends. And, and it was uh, at preschool that I met two friends uh, who had birthday parties that they took me to a movie. Uh -huh. uh, the first one was for Star Wars. I remember that screening, it was completely sold out and we had to sit on the floor and that experience of, of sitting on the floor watching star wars and not understanding a word of it the visuals really staying with me mm -hmm. but then the second birthday party was a couple years later for the movie superman six <laughs> years old and that's really the 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 movie that i i remember the whole thing the movie the experience and um falling in love with with that film uh, and but were you learning English in the meantime? I mean, you you were yes, kind of really yes, pressed into the deep end here, weren't you? It, it really is at that time where they you know it's either sink or swim, uh, and you're learning in school. Uh, but at also at the same time, I was very fortunate to have parents who uh, could afford to buy us a VCR, and they bought. We were one of the first people on the block to have a VCR and. And if you remember back then, buying a VHS tape cost $100. My dad bought us, I remember, four movies at that time. Yeah. It was The Sound of Music for my sisters, Ten Commandments for the family, Catch-22 for him because it was filmed in his uh, hometown in Guaymas and Obregón in Sonora, Superman for, for my younger brother and, and for me. I watched Superman over and over and over again. And... and uh, I remember loving John Williams' music so much that wow. wa I watched the opening credits. I would stop it, rewind mm -hmm. it, and watch the opening credits over and over again. And mm -hmm. then I discovered that the last credit before the movie started was the directed by credit. And in this uh -huh. case, it was directed by Richard Donner. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking my dad, mm -hmm. what does a director do? He's, he was trying to get me to read more. So... He said, well, you know, what a director does is like when you read a book, right? And you're, oh. and, and you're imagining, you're seeing everything in your, in your head and your imagination, right? When you mm -hmm. read the book. Mm -hmm. said, yeah. Well, a director has to put that on film. 
and that explanation from that moment like oh my god someone actually can do that and does that uh -huh. i want to do that i uh, want to put my imagination on film that was at uh yeah. you know six six seven years old and then when i was in sixth grade so this is a few years later when i was 12. Yeah. my older brother rolando was a senior in high school and he came home from college day and he uh told me that there was a place where there was a film school they teach you how to make movies and it was usc university of southern california yeah. and at that time i i did my research and found out that george lucas graduated from usc mm -hmm. uh, john milius graduated from usc mm -hmm. uh, ron howard and so you're 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 discovering that some of the directors that you admire went to that school and so at sixth grade i knew that i was going to go to usc you cut to my senior year of high school I applied for you to USC and I didn't get in. It was disheartening. It was just, what do you do now? And I remember one of my friend's mothers said, well, you should call USC <laughs> and find out what courses you need to take at a, either a community college or even at UTEP so that you can transfer into USC. And that was the best advice. I, I, I called USC and I mm -hmm. said, I'm looking to transfer into USC. <laughs> what classes do I need and what do I have to do? And the, and the lady was very nice. She, she said, take these classes and get a 3.0 or better mm -hmm. and you can transfer to USC. And so my freshman year I did at UTEP, the University of Texas at El Paso, and thank God for them because they accepted me uh, and it prepared me for college. And I got a 3.5 GPA and, and USC accepted me. But when I applied to USC, when I transferred to USC or applied for transfer, I also applied to the film program and yeah. I didn't get into the film program, but I but I did get into USC. I figured I have to I have semesters each semester to apply to the film program to get in while I, my three years at at USC and I and and my junior year was the last possible place to that I had to get into the film program because you need two years in as a junior and senior to really finish out your requirements for the film program. So I had sure. three semesters to try it. And so each semester I tried to get into the film program. The second time I didn't get in. The third time I applied to two parts of the program, one called the critical studies program and one the production program. Part of the deal with, with my financial aid package, I had to have a work study program and I worked in the stock room where they rented equipment to film students. So I learned all the cameras then, all the lights while this was happening, but also at the same time, the complaints that I got from the film students, certain things that they liked, certain things that they didn't. So mm -hmm. I got a real inside knowledge of the production program versus the critical studies program. And so my, my junior year, I got into both the critical studies program and the production program. And I remember going to my counselor and telling him, hey, I got into production and critical studies. Yeah. And he immediately assumed, okay, so we'll switch over to production. We'll do this and we'll do that. And I said, no, no, I'm not going to do production. I'm going to do critical studies. And he just looked at me, why would you do that? And I explained to him, you know, I've been seeing what these film students were doing. Yeah. Part of the production program, it's a, it's a, it's a course, it's, it's a technical course. So you're learning the cameras, you're learning how to shoot. Right. Uh, but, but critical studies, teaches you what makes movies work. And also you're not guaranteed to direct a movie as a, as a film student, because it's yeah. part of a lottery. So oh. you can pay all this money and be a gaffer on someone's film. So I, I, I switched to critical studies 
And also at the same time, I did a double major in religion because mm-hmm. I knew the stories had to come from somewhere. Because I knew I was mm-hmm. going to be a writer as well. I signed up for critical studies and religion. And I felt with those two courses under my belt would help me be a, a well-rounded writer-director. Were there certain filmmakers that you felt inspired by? At that time, I mean, I remember it was like 1992. So Quentin Tarantino just exploded with mm-hmm. Reservoir Dogs and everybody wanted to be Tarantino, Tarantino. I was discovering old films. I really was through critical studies. They really give you a, a, a well-rounded education of the films that came before you. Yeah. And yeah. in one of my classes, I discovered Sam Peckinpah. Peckinpah, to me, was the first American filmmaker who understood and loved Mexico and knew how to photograph the Mexican landscape and the Mm -hmm. Mexican face. It was The Wild Bunch. The Wild Bunch really for me was the first movie I saw where I, I, I felt that they captured Mexico and Mexicans in a beautiful light and not a derogatory light. There was the first time I actually saw a mother bless her son Mm. on camera. Uh-huh. The way my mother would bless me uh, right after I would leave for college or anywhere. It used authentic music, Mexican music from my grandparents that I remember. The locations they shot in Mexico. It wasn't yeah. some, some studio like they did with, you know, with a lot of the, the John Wayne movies or even the Magnificent mm-hmm. Seven. As much as I love the Magnificent Seven. And they did shoot in Mexico, but it was a stage in Mexico. And they used mm-hmm. actors that didn't really speak Spanish. They you know, cast Eli Wallach as a Mexican and didn't feel authentic to me. And that that must have been part of your motivation as well to direct, yeah? Yes, to tell those stories, those personal stories with that type of authenticity. It's definitely opening up. It wasn't so when I was going to film school and then trying to yeah. get into the, into the industry. Mm-hmm. It, it was a struggle getting uh, your scripts read, with with your themes, Mexican-American themes. They were not ready for that yet at that time when I had graduated from film school. So it was an uphill battle. You had a really interesting experience out of film school in on your first job. Tell people what happened. Well, I was, I, my senior year, I did an internship with two producers. Uh, and when I graduated, they hired me as their assistant. And they had just gotten a deal at Disney. Uh, and so they moved offices and from 20th Century Fox, where the internship was, to, to Disney. And, mm. they, uh, you know, they hired me. I graduated on a Friday and I started work on a Monday. There was no rest for me. It was And, and mm. that last semester of film school was my toughest because I did take a production class and did five short films. And I had to do my religion thesis. It was a tough semester. and mm-hmm. But graduated on a Friday, started work on a Monday and lasted maybe four or five months before they fired me. There was things that I didn't know about the industry that I, no one taught me. No Uh. one prepares you to be an assistant. No one prepares you. You know, there was, there was an opportunity for me to go to this uh, course at Disney of how to do things. And, but they did not want me to, they didn't want to have to answer their own phones. So I, I, I couldn't go to that class. I was fired. It was humiliating. Yeah. It was the, probably the worst part of the of living in LA. Thinking like, if this is what Hollywood is about, 
I don't want anything to do with it. And I, I just didn't know what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And my dad called me and he said, you know, why don't you move back to El Paso? You, you haven't had any rest. You know, you, yeah. you, you went straight from school to this job. Um, come home and you don't have to worry about it. You, you wanted to write something. Why don't you just come home and write a script? And, and that yeah. was the motivation. And, and, and the irony was that the, that the one good thing that job did do is that there was a screening hmm. that I got invited to that producers didn't want. And they said, go to this screening. Okay. So to set up this screening, my last semester at USC, I went home to be my, the godfather to my cousin's confirmation. And on the way back, flying from El Paso, we landed in Phoenix. Yeah. And John Singleton sat next to me. He came in with another guy and I was on the on the window part of Southwest Airlines uh-huh. the guy that he came with sat next to me in the middle aisle and John Singleton sat on the on the aisle asking him are you John Singleton and he said no I get that a lot and he went back he was reading his book and I said okay I get it he doesn't want to be bugged that's cool yeah. he was another guy that had graduated not uh-huh. five years before me did uh-huh. Boys in the Hood and he had just uh, done Higher Learning and I had seen Higher Learning and I didn't like that movie Boys in the Hood is, is a masterpiece of a film, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I didn't connect with higher learning. Right. During the flight, the guy next to me that I thought came in with Singleton said, hey, have you seen higher learning? And I, cause I didn't know if they were together or not. So I said, yes, I did see that movie. And he said, so what did you think of it? Now, obviously I'm not gonna trash this movie, but yeah. I said, I, I said what my, an honest, my honest reaction was, well, I think what that movie was trying to say is that if you go into, college not knowing who you are they're gonna spit you out into what they want you to become okay and uh singleton put his book down and said that's it man so then he and i started talking movies started talking yeah. about and we we really started up a great conversation at that time the wild bunch was being re-released and we talked about that and i asked him what he was working on he was doing rosewood he was prepping rosewood at that time. and then he said uh, that what he really wants to do is do a movie about coyotes and i said oh my god you know I'm, I'm from el paso that stuff happens in my backyard all the time but you know what i want it to be religious it has to be a religious and then i said well you know i'm a my second major at usc was religion and mm-hmm. he's he saw where i was going with it yeah and i, and I said who who are you uh, are you writing it yourself or are you getting someone else to write it yeah and he said i'm having i'm getting janet jackson's boyfriend to write it because he's Mexican and uh and I said where's he from and he said Chicago I go well you know why don't uh okay I get it but you know why don't you and and, you know I started to and I saw how uncomfortable he was right I stopped and we just we just started talking about our professors Mm -hmm. and something else Mm -hmm. and 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 Mm -hmm. and and so the flight ended it was a quick flight and he said good luck your rest of your semester at USC and I'll see you around I can never to see him again you cut to you know Two weeks before I was fired, the professor, the the boss, my bosses, the two producers got invited to a screening of a Tuskegee Airmen did, and they didn't want to go to it. So they gave me the passes. So I go to this screening and I bump into John Singleton and I say, hey, you remember me? We sat on a plane. Yeah, man, how are you? You know, did you? Yeah. Well, I graduated and I asked him about that Coyote project. Have you written it? Is it done? And he said, no, it's not written yet. And he said, well, come on, man, give me a shot. I'll write it for you. And he said, well, have you written anything? Do you have an agent? Are you any good? I said, no, I've never written anything except in school. I, I don't have an agent, and but yes, I am good. He loved that part and said, all right, here's my number. Call my office tomorrow. We'll set something up. I called the next day and, the, and his assistant wouldn't put me through. I called for two weeks straight and the assistant finally got fed up with me 
and said, what is this about? I said, I'm being genuine. John gave me his number to talk about Coyote. He's looking for a writer. I want the opportunity to write it for him. Mm -hmm. And by this time, I already knew I was fired. And I oh. knew that I was heading home. Finally, the assistant connected me to his head of development. And how and, and Howard answered the phone. is like, yes, Edgar, what can we do for you? I said, well, mm -hmm. listen, I'm, I'm being genuine. John told me about this project, Coyote, and he needed a writer. And he said, yes, John did tell me, but Edgar, we can't give you a deal. You haven't written anything. You don't have an agent. And I said, I know that. I know that I don't want a deal. I'm going to go write the script regardless. I want the guarantee that you'll read it when it's done. And he said, absolutely, I will read the script. If you do it on spec, I will read it. I knew, I knew then that once my dad said that you can yeah. come home to write, I said, well, now I have an excuse yeah. to write something yeah. and to yeah. research it. I packed my bags and drove back to El Paso. But, I, you know, you're still depressed from being fired. But you still had this thing like, there's a chance. If you write a good script, mm -hmm. you have a chance. There's a reboot. There's a reboot. And now you go home. So and now you're in El Paso. And let's hear about the Walter Hill piece of it. Well, I, as luck would have it, uh, I'm doing research on Coyote and, and still trying to figure things out. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, I get invited for my friend to see a... a a screening of Lolita at UTEP. I hadn't seen that movie and I wanted to see Lolita. So I, I go to, to his class and he introduces me to his professor, this lovely woman named Cynthia Farrow. And uh, Cynthia found out I went to film school at USC and she asked me to speak to her students about that experience. So I did and Cynthia and I became fast friends. Yeah. So during this time, I hear that Walter Hill is coming to El Paso to shoot a remake of Yojimbo, Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo. And uh, I thought, I have to get on this film. You know, Walter had come to El Paso in 1986 to shoot Extreme Prejudice, and I didn't know. I missed it. And mm. I said, I'm not going to miss this time. You know, Walter coming to El Paso again, I have to be on it. I even tried out as an extra because they were looking for mm -hmm. Italian thugs. I mean, she said, you're too cute to be Italian thugs. So, and I said, well, I just want to work on the film. And said, well, I can't help you. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, and, Edgar, tell me as a director, what does he bring? I love The Warriors. I just thought it was a great movie. Uh, Walter had an, a, a great visual style, and, and, uh, and he directed action like nobody could. He really uh, was a great action director, and mm -hmm. I love those types of films. A lot of Walter Hill's movies were all visual, mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, my dad loved his movies, and I would rent them, and we'd watch them together. Nice. And Walter was certainly one of those guys that I admired. And um, as a matter of fact, my senior year of high school, my brother Rolando, as a, as a gift, gave me a Walter Hill script to read. It was the first script I ever read, and it was Alien. And, and I saw his, his technique as a screenwriter. He had this amazing shorthand. It was not like anything of, of the other scripts that I read later with Walter's script, he was, there was almost like a haiku quality to them. Mm -hmm. And it was great to read. Yeah. And so I really admired Walter for being a writer-director. So did he write Last Man Standing? Yes, he did. Okay. I mean, he, he adapted it from Akira Kurosawa's film, right. Yojimbo, but he, he turned it into a prohibition story. And who was starring? This is Bruce Willis. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Willis, uh, Bruce Dern. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, Christopher Walken. 
and David Patrick Kelly, who was in the Warriors. You know, he had that great moment in the Warriors. Uh, Warriors, come out and play. You know, they very famous for that. And I was trying to get on that film, and even the casting director for Extras didn't want to hire me, and I just didn't know what to do. And I, I remember coming home and surrendering. I said, I've tried everything I can. And I and I, I remember with my you know my favorite book at the time was The Alchemist, mm. and uh, and there's that great line that says if you really want something the the universe will conspire to help you achieve it and I believe that I, I and I and it was the this was the first time that it actually happened I remember thinking that and thinking if that's true let's see if it's true I I just have to want it. Let's see if it happens and I kid you not you know 45 minutes later the phone rings and it's Cynthia Farrow who I'd really just met a few weeks ago mm -hmm. at that time. And, and she tells me, listen, the costume designer of this Walter Hill movie mm -hmm. is giving a tour of the set to the theater arts department of UTEP. Why don't you pretend to be a theater arts major and sneak in to the set? And this is where I met Dan Moore. He was the costume designer and he was giving the, the tour of the set. And after the tour, I approached him and I showed him my laser disc and said, can Walter sign these? Uh -huh. And Dan had worked with Walter since the Long Riders. He loved that I was a fan. And he said, why, why don't you leave these laser discs here and I'll get him to sign it because, you know, he's shooting and I don't want to interrupt him right now. I said, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. So the next day I come back and true to his word, he had the laser disc signed. And, and, then, and then Dan said something. He said, you know, my wife and I, mm -hmm. but in that case, he said, my lovely bride mm -hmm. and I are writing a script that takes place mm -hmm. in El Paso. Would you mind showing her around so that she can get a feel of the of the town of the city? And so that's where I met you, and I showed you around. We drove everywhere. I'd never been on a border town. I had. It was so great to see it through your eyes. You took me to all the most wonderful, scenic, and colorful places. That was a great day. It was it, a great day. It yeah, was wonderful. And at the end of the day, you wanted to pay me, and I said, "No, we're even." Dan already got my laser just signed. We're good. And you laughed and said, "Okay." But Dan called me that night. He was he was upset. I said, like, no, I wanted to pay you for your time. And I said, no, you got the laser to sign. He said, no, that's not good enough. How can I help you? How can I repay you for that, for what you did? And I said, listen, I mean, I would love to see Walter Hill work. Can you invite me back to the set? I would uh -huh. give anything to watch him and learn from him as a director. Yeah. And, and Dan said, I'll do one better for you. Let me call you back in 10 minutes. Mm. He calls me back in 10 minutes. He said, your call time tomorrow is 5 a.m. You'll be a PA with the wardrobe department. And that was my <laughs> first job on a movie. Uh, and, you know, the irony of getting fired in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> moving back to my hometown to work on a movie directed by Walter Hill, one of my favorite directors. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was too surreal. Did you get a chance to watch Walter work? Oh, Did yeah. A lot of yeah. the stuff that I had to do, I remember the big thing is I had a fireproof suit. Oh God! For the stuff, spray that stuff down. Spray that stuff down during the day, yeah. but we were mostly shooting at night. So at night, I got I got to see Walter work, and there was a there was this great scene at a crossroads that I got to see him work, and uh, and I'd never seen someone so confident and sure and relaxed as a director. It was it was actually really powerful to see him just in charge, in control, but relaxed. The scene was with Bruce uh, Dern. You know, he says, action. And Bruce does the scene. And then he says, cut. That was wonderful, Bruce. 
now why don't you do it the way I wrote it? And he laughed and said, all right, Walter, all right. And that's the kind of rapport he had with his actors, confidence that he had. I mean, he, he had such a control of, of the medium, his visual mm -hmm. style. The, the thing when they ask him about the types of movies he does, he, he says, they're all odes to courage. That moment of, you know, the ordinary person yeah. having to make that courageous, you know, leap or act or whatever mm -hmm. to do what needs to be done, you know, with all the odds against him. And, and that's, those are the types of movies that he makes. And those are the types of movies I love. We all want to yeah. have that type of courage. And I've learned, you know, those steps of, you know, those courageous leaps that have helped me along my journey because of that, you know, just, you have to be brave. After Last Man Standing, you were, were you invited to come back to LA? Did you have a job to come back to? No. How so was so what happened, I finished writing the Coyote script. I sent it off to them and, and, and God bless you and Dan, because you read the script mm -hmm. and Dan said the most, you know, talk about encouraging words because yeah. Dan said, Edgar, you have the skeleton there of a great story. Keep working at it. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I showed him a 150 page draft. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And, and, yeah. And I went at it and I rewrote and rewrote and rewrote and got it down and I sent it off to John Singleton and um, I got this letter back from Howard Hobson saying, unfortunately, we lost our deal. We can't, yeah. we don't have any money to develop. So I'm yeah. returning the script to you. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was it for that. And then I, and, and that was in February. And I think, right. well, what am I going to do? I'm in El Paso. So I applied for graduate school. I was going to go to the screenwriting program at USC, just concentrate on screenwriting. First day of class, the screenwriting teacher starts teaching, and it's the exact same course I took as an undergrad. And I was thinking, I know all this. I've already learned all this. I'm not going to pay more money for this. I quit, and I called Dan Moore. I said, Dan, I'm in L.A. I'm looking for work. And he said, well, I can't guarantee you a job. I'm starting this HBO movie, but I'll get you an interview with the first AD and see what happens. And so he got me an interview with Jeffrey Wetzel. And so I go in an interview with, with, with JP, as we called him. And uh, the first thing out of his mouth is that the only reason you're here is because of Dan Moore. But unfortunately, I can't hire you. I have to hire someone's nephew. And yeah. before I left, I asked him, well, who's directing this HBO movie? And he said, uh, Joe Dante's directing. And my eyes lit up. Joe Dante's directing this movie? Director of Gremlins, Inner Space, The Howling? The wonderful yeah. director, underrated uh -huh. director. And, uh, and he, he liked that, that I knew him. And he said, well, look, yeah. I'll keep you, I promise I'll keep you in mind. About three weeks later, JP called me mm -hmm. and said, well, I had to fire that someone's nephew. I'm going to hire you for one week and one week only. We're mm -hmm. shooting at Gorman. Your call time's at 4.30 tomorrow morning. I'll see you there. Get there. And I, and I work for a week as a set PA. I'm oh, yeah. working under JP doing lockups. And it was a, it was a great experience. Uh, mm -hmm. watching Joe Dante direct sure. as best as I could from my lockup or those moments that I was actually on set. And on Friday, my last day, JP came up to me and said, how's your car? Does it work? <laughs> Will it break down? As I know it's tip top. All right. You're driving the director home. Edgar, he's tired. Don't talk to him about gremlins. Don't talk to him <laughs> about inner space. Just get him home and mm -hmm. uh, go pick him up at his trailer. So mm -hmm. I have my 1987, you know, uh, Volkswagen Jetta, not that great of shape. I'm thinking he's going to sit in the back and fall asleep. 
Mm-hmm. Pull up to his trailer and he sits in the seat next to me in the passenger seat mm-hmm. and we take off. And it's a two uh-huh. and a half hour drive to LA. And it's that silence. I mean, I can't talk to him about gremlins. I can't talk to him about inner space. So I'm just looking for something. I said, you want to listen to some music? And mm-hmm. he said, sure. And I turn on the radio. Of course, my antenna's broken. It's static. Just like, and there's like uncomfortable silence. And I just said, and I looked around and again, going back to movies have always come to my rescue. Yeah. I had made a mixtape of film scores from Westerns. I said, do you want to listen to, you know, music from Westerns? I made this mixtape. And he said, is it Ennio Morricone? And I said, that's exactly who it is. And he said, yeah, put that on. So mm-hmm. I put that music on and we just talked Westerns the whole trip. Our favorite wow. Westerns. He told me that he had directed a Western for Showtime that I had no idea. We talked about our favorite Peckinpah Western, which was the cable, the Ballad of Cable Hogue was one of his oh. favorites and mine. And we talked about that. And it was a wonderful. And the trip went by like that. So I get him home and he just, wow, that was fast. And he said, are you on for the rest of the show? And I said, no, this is my last day. JP only hired me for a week, but it was a pleasure meeting you. Thank you. And he just laughed and I said, no, this is not your last day. You're driving me from now on. I'll let JP know. I'll see you Monday. To me, he was um, more than just uh, this director that I learned all this stuff. He really was in many ways an angel to me because he restored my faith in Hollywood uh, because uh if someone like he can exist and still work in Hollywood and be that nice and like, you know, be a gentleman and be who he is and still be a director, it gave me faith. It gave me like, okay, I can do this. I would ask Joe questions and no matter how tired he was or whatever, he would always answer my questions. I remember once I, there was this real difficult scene with like five different actors that he had to do. And, I remember asking, how did you how did you know where to put the camera with all those five actors like that? And uh, he smiled. I did the John Houston approach. Yeah. <laughs> I said, what the hell is a John Houston approach? And he said, well, you know, you let the actors, you work with, you trust your actors mm-hmm. and you and you see what they're going to do, what's, what's their comfort level of how the blocking is going to be. And you work all that out first. Yeah. And then you put the camera accordingly. Edgar, we're probably yes. going to stop here okay gonna have to pick it up again at some point okay yeah we'll we'll pick it up right here with uh because i still have to tell my my james earl jones story and stay tuned for part two james earl jones yeah james coburn yeah please visit our website angelladymovie.com to find out more about our guest and our film